Hi, Art Supply Posse. It's Kim. Today's guest creates her beautiful art by taking everyday items and turning them into exquisite pieces of art that barely resemble what they were created from. You'll want to check out her work uh, online so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. But for now, in the meantime, hello, Diana, and uh, welcome to the Art Supply Posse. Ah, Thank you for having me, Kim. My pleasure. So I'm going to launch straight into it because it's just easier for everyone. But I want to know, oh, actually, before I do that, how do I pronounce your surname? Obviously, I know how to pronounce Diana, but how do I pronounce your surname? <laughs> so my name is I am from Colombia. It's uh, uh-huh. Diana Beltran ah. Herrera. Oh, my uh, goodness. People call me Diana, which is, you know, I live in the UK, so I'm so used to that now. <laughs> There is no way I can say that as beautifully as you say that. So I'm just not even going to try. Like, what would be the point? I could not sound as beautiful. Just you have such a gorgeous accent. Us Australians, we don't have a great accent. It's not very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) I I like it. I like your accent. (laughs) I I think it's that thing of everybody else's accent sounds much better than your own. I think that's probably a lot of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yourself conscious of your own voice. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So who I, I will I will call you Diana. I'm sorry, that's terrible, but I will. Who are you? Yeah. Like who what what is your where are you right now and who are you right now? So I am um I am from Colombia originally. Um I live now in the UK. I've lived here for the last eight years. Um, I study industrial design in Colombia, and then when I moved in the UK, I did an MA in fine art. So I kind of, I've always been very creative. So this is what I, this is who I am, where I'm from, and what I do. I do work with paper mainly, and I create all kinds of things with it. And the things that I do the most um, are nature-related. But I do, um, I do have a research, and I'm 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 doing all sorts with it. But paper is like my main medium, yeah. the main medium for my work. Yeah, yeah. So, so why art? Like, why do you think you're creative? Have you always been creative? Did it come to you later in in life? How did how did you find art? Yeah, so always uh, my mom, my mom, she's always been very creative. So when I was little, she had like a little studio, and she would do all sorts of things. And I guess as a way to spend time with her, I used to just crawl and, you know, uh, recover all her scraps and try to make things um, out of them. So Mm -hmm. her thing was fabrics and she will, you know, do a lot of things for the house, uh, kilts and stuff like that. And I was always making, you know, very useful things for me with her leftovers. So I will do like a pen case or, you know, things for my hair or things for my dolls. And then I just recycle things at home every single day and I will just paint them or do things in plasticine. So that was my thing when I was little, making things every single day. Like I have that need. And I guess because I saw my mom doing it, so I thought maybe this is what you do in life, you know, you make stuff. So, yeah, when I was um, about to choose career, I wanted to be an artist. But I felt a little bit unsure because in Colombia it's not a career that I was picking up and, you know, it's a bit difficult to 
have a living as an artist. So then, um, yeah, I chose design, industrial design, because I like making things. So then I thought I can make things for people now, you know, I yeah. make, make, make practical things. And as I was studying at uni, it was really nice because obviously you had the challenge of creating, you know, useful things and, and you get more awareness of what are you making for who and that. But I was very manual. I like to make everything with my hands. And, and I mean, that was, uh, that was like 15 years ago when I went to uni. So I don't know. I mean, programs were there, you know, Illustrator, Photoshop, all that, rendering. But I wasn't really into that. I thought it was too complicated to learn. And I really didn't want to, you know, give the time to that. So I just um, learned to do things my own way. So I did my posters, my presentations, everything. And when I finished, when I graduated, I realized all the jobs were directed to rendering, you know, people that do rendering and 3D work. And I thought, you know, I don't have the skill. And so that really pushed me back to what do I want to do? So I just started painting, doing collages and trying things. And I was really lucky because my parents said to me, you don't have a, you know, you don't need to worry about finding a job. Just make sure that, you know, whatever you find is the right thing for you because you spent five years at the uni. So Mm -hmm. we don't want to see you just going, you know, in retail or anything. Yeah. So I just start creating things and I upload everything to the old one Flickr in those days. Mm-hmm. We have like, you know, a Flickr account and then there was a community in there and I start putting all my stuff in there and I made lots of friends and it started picking up. It was, you know, it was like a really nice place and I did some shows in Colombia, some like group shows and galleries and exhibitions. So I started relating with artists around me, no designers. It was just about artists. And I had a chance to go to Finland um, to live with a friend for six months. He was, he's an artist, really, mm-hmm. a really beautiful artist from the Faroe Island, Islands. Um, and I worked with him for six months. And then I got a really good glimpse of what is to be a professional artist. What is to, you know, have an exhibition, have a commission, be organized, pull your time and your effort into it. And he, we were doing uh, wood sculpture. And... Yeah, I just found a, you know, like a pad of paper and I just went back to it because paper to me has always been very easy to access and easy to transform and I have always felt very comfortable with it. So this has been my journey through why that I became an you know, yeah. artist or a creative person. Yeah. It must have been really good to have your parents' support like say that to you and, and, you know, not put any pressure on you. Like that must have made things easier for you in some ways because you knew you they were there and they were supporting you and, you know, wanting the best for you. Yeah, I mean, they've always been very supportive, but they've been very um, teaching me about discipline. So I had a studio in the company and I used to go every single day, like if I had a job. Yep. Because, I mean, I'm not working, but I need to show my dad and my mom that I'm worth my time and effort because it's going to pick up and become something. Mm-hmm. Because if I haven't been that disciplined and I haven't been have them the way they brought me up, I don't think, you know, like you really need to show um, people, you know. I want to make them proud. I want them to, to say, like, you know, she doesn't have a job yet, but it's just a matter of an opportunity because it's in there. Yeah. And that really helped me because it created a structure in my life of, you know, being an artist is tricky because you don't have a boss, you don't have a job, you are on your own constantly doing this. And if you don't have a discipline and if you don't organize your day, um, you can lose it. And then, you know, there are periods of times that you just feel lost and you don't know what to do because you don't have a direction. Mm-hmm. So you have to be your own 
boss in that. You have to be your own guidance. And I have always been good at that. I have always known where to go. I have always planned work ahead. So I know, you know, what's coming always. And that helps me. That's good. That's, that is really good. <laughs> it's yeah. def- definitely a good thing to have. So, so how did you go? How did sculpture become your sort of your your main love? Like, you know, you said you picked up paper because it was always there, but what was the decision to to sculpt with that paper? Like, was it an active decision, or was it just something you kind of did without even thinking? Well, I think because I have always made objects, you know, mm-hmm. I've always had the need of making physical things. Then that puts me in the position where they are already, you know, things that I relate with in a space, a scale. So I was never like a drawing person. And then when I did industrial design, we were designing objects that were functional. So we were yeah. dealing a lot with shapes and sculptures, you know, because what is an sculpture is a volume in a space that doesn't have a practicality, that doesn't serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. So that was my training. And when I graduated from uni and I found paper and I started doing collage, my collages weren't flat. Uh, the collages that I did were 3D. So I was really pushing out. I, I mean, I had a need for volume. I don't know why I have a need of, I, I think it helps me to relate because I can touch it, hold it, feel it. And so I feel it's closer to me in that way that if it was flat on a surface. Mm -hmm. So anything that I do, I always have a need to hold it, you know, in my hands to feel it. Um, So this is where I took into sculpture. Everything that I saw, I have just that need to recreate it in a volume way. So maybe it's because I need to see it from all the sides. Maybe it's because I have a better understanding of space. So I have always thought in my head in terms of space. And, And this is what... You know, life has led me to to work in, you know, with volumes. And, yeah, I mean, and with paper is really challenging because paper is such a flat surface. And, you know, people are used to see it as a, you know, flat surface where you, you know, print, draw, stuff like that. So when you start thinking, like, can this really become more more than that and push into something different, then, yeah, it, it's, it's nice. It's a nice challenge. Hmm. I think... Paper can often be taken for granted because it's there everywhere. It's it's used for so many things. And yet when I did, when I was browsing your website initially, I was just blown away by how like some things don't even look like paper. Like it's like it just it's just like they can't even be that can't be paper. It can't have come from that. But it has. And it's it just goes to show what actually can be done with something as simple or as you know every day as a piece of paper if you actually just apply a different way of looking at it yeah so I I mean I've, I've been working with it for 10 years now so obviously at the beginning the exploration was very you know immature and very I don't know naive because you don't know how to deal with it but as um, as I have grown into my practice, most of my friends said to me, why you have stuck yourself with a material? Because when you are an artist, you have a wide range of mediums that you can work with. You can mm-hmm. almost do anything. And I say to them, it's because first, it doesn't have a value. 
you know, mm-hmm. is not seen as a valuable material in the art world. So we, mm-hmm. we, we respect clay, we respect metal and bronze, and we think, like, that's a sculpture. Yeah. But, you know, recently, with the years, sculpture has been something that has, um, the meaning of sculpture has changed so much throughout the years, and it almost, you know, kind of is testing its boundaries. So when I went to do my main fine art, I was really excited because, you know, paper is at the boundary of its sculpture because it's fragile and it yeah. can break. Yeah. And, you know, so it's at the limit of, of what an object could be and exist. And when you start taking all these uh, materials that are so fragile and you start working with them, it's really interesting because you have, a, I mean, they are fragile, so they break. And, yeah. you know, they are prone to collapse all the time at, at, any, at any challenge. So then you start thinking how I can shape this material and make it be more robust so it can stay longer, so it can, you know, live, live longer. Um, so, yeah, this is what I've been doing with, with paper, just really pushing. And I just find it fascinating. I just find that it's so much range, it's so much color, it's so much texture, the amount of possibilities are infinite with it. And I don't think it has really taken um, many people to challenge it and to try it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all these medium, like people have done wood so much and like it's almost written all down. But then we paper every single day you'll find it. And I think this is what I like to do. I like to leave like a good, nice recording of look through all the stages that I went in my life. This is how I found this. And I have found that it, you know, it works beautifully. And what I love about it is that I don't need any processes of transformation or any weird, you know, techniques or machines or equipment. I just go anywhere and I can do it with the most simple things. So to me, it's really about the potential of how you can transform something that is so ordinary and elevated into something else. And, And I love it. I mean, I love the fact that I don't need anything complicated and it's just up to me. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So is it just simply, aside from the paper, are you using like tools such as a knife or scissors or something like that? Like what are the other, aside from the paper itself, what else do you use to, to be able to do what you're doing? Yeah, so I use, I mean, paper has a wide range. So I will use from tissue paper to card to paper that have texture. Uh, and then to support paper, I use wire sometimes if I want to do something specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a as a support, not as the main, and yes. then like to give a structure. But now I can give a structure to paper. So if I want to make an object, the first thing I will do is a paper structure, and then I will cut it in paper. So the whole material will do. And then I'm using yeah, I use a knife and I use scissors and glue, and I use a digital machine that is like a little plotter, like mm-hmm. a cutting machine, where I can cut some of my designs because you know I have a lot of things going on, so doing it all by hand is not visible anymore and nowadays I am uh, using a lot of paint so I'm using watercolors I'm using uh, inks I'm using spray paint I'm using acrylic so I'm affecting the material and this is what is lovely about it that because it's a surface you can Mm. add so much to it and you can add in different ways so you can add from a very soft watercolor to get like a lovely gradient or you can go bold with a spray paint and get another and what I like about paint is that any paint that you use adds a different texture to it. So then you you elevate it more because it's not just the flat paper. You have now, you know, lots of things go- going on. So, yeah, this is, this is what I will use on on my everyday, 
yeah to make to make my work is it something because is, is it very portable like can you take some of your things and do this outside or do you have to be in a controlled studio environment where you know there is no weather or there's no sort of you know the lighting's the right like how how is that in terms of that for you yeah, I mean, I like to work indoors because obviously paper is such a fragile thing that it just blows away if you're outside and you need to avoid water because if mm-hmm. you have, you know, uncontrolled water in it, then paper reacts because it's a natural medium. So, yeah, the the use of water in it is really interesting because you need to know how you apply the water and which surface you're using because you have hundreds of different surfaces and thicknesses and all that. So they all react. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I could almost work anywhere if I wanted to because all I need is just paper and my few tools and, and a table mm-hmm. if I'm doing, like, any project. But, yeah, so, you know, this is what I like about it. It's you don't need to be in a special workshop. You don't need any help. You don't need anyone. You can just move with it anywhere where you want to, and I think that's flexible because you can find it anywhere. So yeah. any country you are, they sell it. It's yeah. there. Yeah. So where do you source your paper from, mm-hmm. like? Because there is such a wide variety, do you need to have consistency in the types of paper you're using? Like you need to make sure it comes from the same supplier to make sure it's that same quality every time or is it not quite as um, technical as needing to be that perfect? Well, I use I like to use fine art papers. So my go- the first paper I started using was the Canzon Me Me. Tines? I don't know how you pronounce yeah, that because yes, it's like yes, a yes, I know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's the one, and I love it because it has the perfect thickness for anything. So yeah. it is not too thick and it's not too thin, and anything that you fully keeps the structure. And that paper is made for pastels. So yes. it has a texture with like little holes that when you pass the pastel, it really holds on. And I love that texture because it kind of adds like an elegance to your work. So it's not like a flat surface of paper, but I like paper that has texture. So parallel to that, I will use the Fabriano range. They have a Tiziano uh, range of paper. And then I will use Dalleroni Murano, which is a UK brand. So I tried. So those are the three ones that I move with. When Mm -hmm. because you know Canson comes from France and then you have Fabriano and all that, so you try to make a mix of what is available in the art shop or online. So I source all my materials online, Mm -hmm. and when I need something, I am lucky that in the art shop uh, near my house they sell Canson. So yeah, and I like the high quality because some of my pieces have to uh, retain color. You know, like color is really important with time because they need to be archival pieces. So, you, you know, if you put them in the sun, they fade. So I have tried different kinds of paper that uh, people use for printing, for making books and stuff like that. But some of those, they don't have the quality in terms of color that I need. So, for example, now I'm doing a piece of work that is going to be display. Um, and I, I'm using watercolor pigment to make sure that I enhance the color of the paper and that it doesn't fade with the light throughout the years because this is something you know like you imagine you make a piece and then five years later is all fade so yeah. that's not good so that's yeah that's that's how I source my paper from and then I found a company in the UK that specialize in texture papers so because mm-hmm. they are in the printing industry they have all kinds of textures so they have the wooden one the metal one old silvers and stuff like that. And I love that range because it's supportive for my work. So if I'm doing something specific where I need to add like a wooden texture, then I wouldn't Mm -hmm. 
fabricate it myself because I know it's out there and I'm just going yeah. to get it yeah. and play with that one. So the more research they do on that and the more they grow, the more benefits you find because the range of paper is growing constantly. Uh, so yeah, this is this is what I use. I don't I don't use any recycled paper at the moment. Mm-hmm. Like that if I made it myself, no, because I don't have the time to do that. But I am very good at uh, being, you know, conscious of the size of paper that I use so that I use it in the best way. Because yeah. I have seen people that, you know, when you approach paper, they don't plan the surface and then they just have lots of remains that go in the bin or in the recycling. Yeah. And I and I feel so upset about that because it's such a precious material. So I always plan every single corner that I have no waste when I'm working. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. It's a really good way to work. So how how long does a piece take you usually? Like, is there sort of a rough time, or does it just really depend on what you're doing? And some things vary a lot depending on their size or how intricate they are, or or whatever. Yeah. So at the beginning, I was just doing birds, and then they will take between a week up to three weeks, depending on the you know pattern and the color and things like that. But like over the last two years, I have moved into more commercial work. So I'm doing, for example, um, book covers or mm-hmm. photography or pieces for packaging. So yeah, I mean the projects move a lot in terms of time. They take a lot of time. Like mm-hmm. if you look at an illustrator or some other people that work digitally, my work takes a lot of time because it's handmade. Yeah. Yeah. So I calculate for pieces either two to three days if it's one piece, like one flower or one botanical, or then a bird that calculate 15 days to just mm-hmm. give plenty. But I don't work the full day. Yeah. I think it's difficult to be the full day working, so I do around six to eight hours a day yeah. in in my work. And yeah, and a sculpture can take from five days to, you know, 15 days. But now I'm doing a lot of collage work, a lot of layering work. So yeah, that is fun because that moves a lot quicker. So I can get lots of pieces done in one day. So yeah, it it varies depending on the subject. And so like, what is it like your your personal projects, the things you do for yourself? Do you still do things for yourself or are you, because you're doing more commercial work, like do you have the time for yourself? And then if you do, how does your work for yourself differ to the commercial stuff? Like with the commercial work, I imagine there's a lot more people involved. There's people directing where they want it to go perhaps or the final look needs to sort of resemble this, whereas your personal projects you must I assume just that's all what where you want to take it depending on your mood or or what you're trying to create. Yeah, so I used to have um like very separate lines of work. So I had my personal work which it was very kind of clean and more like fine art. And I was doing a lot of <clears throat> uh, everyday objects because I had like a research on, you know, just everyday objects and the system of the house, so you know how we relate in the house and how a house is a container to pull all the things that we own and how to categorize that. And then I was doing my commercial work, which was you know, nature and color, so they were very different because one was very white and pastel and the other one was explosion of color. And for a long time, I felt really, you know, confused because I was ashamed to tell people that I was doing that commercially and I was doing that because, you know, I sell it and then this is the way I'm, I'm, I'm living, I'm supporting mm. my living. And I wanted to do, like, my fine art thing, but my fine art wasn't picking or taking me anywhere. Yeah. 
So then I start thinking, I start applying a lot of my personal research into commercial work when clients start coming to us, for example, can you do, I don't know, specific things? Like I have mm -hmm. to do a page for a book and it had to be very interior design. Um, and so I start really involving all the things I was finding in my personal research into my commercial work. And then the work emerged finally. And that was beautiful because I didn't have to be ashamed of it anymore. And mm -hmm. slowly I'm pushing that, you know, desire of taking things more into fine art way into yeah. my work. So it's just a mix of both nowadays. I have a lot of commercial work. So I do work for clients, but they give me freedom to do what I want. So they just say, you know, we want a piece could you please send the designs to us and then we approve them? So then I have all the freedom within their, you know, um, within their needs to do what I want. So it's not that I have to do this right now like that. I mean, sometimes they will say, you know, uh, for example, if I get a cover, I get like a draft and then I just have to enhance it in paper, but then I still get to put my magic in it. Uh, some pieces are just go and do your concept and then, yeah, we love it. And then we just want that you do that thing. Yeah. So it's still it's still very free, but because I have a lot of work these days and I don't have much time to do my pieces, what I do is recycle a lot of the things that I do for my clients and I reinterpret those pieces. So I'm using them as props. Yeah. And then I try to create my own images with anything that I have in the studio just to keep, you know, the thing going because the, my work, you know, my work started being a sculpture and now my work is moving more into photography because you know with the covid and all that uh, i couldn't travel so i had to start sending images to clients so they just want images they don't need the sculptures anymore yeah so that's great because i get to keep everything and then i get to reuse it so they become props you know i have a props of grapes i have a peach i have i don't know a toothbrush and then i start feeling like how can i mix those things and create my own work so then i there is no up personal practice anymore there is a practice yeah. in which i do research personal pieces and commercial work and now it all it's all under the same thing which is great because you know when you have to practice this you really it's like you're trying to be two people yeah. and you don't have the time to swap on your personality all the time to do this and do that so to me in terms of time and, and being uh proactive that's the best i could do just merge it all in one yeah that's that's fantastic. That is that is a really good way to be to be living and working. That's that's amazing. So I'm curious. You said you make sure that you plan out what you're doing before, so as you don't have that wastage or to limit the wastage. How do you plan out? Are you t making sketches, making notes, drawing things out, or is it just more you're visualizing in your mind where everything will be taken from that paper? Like, what's that like? Yeah, well, at the beginning, it was like that. It was a bit more intuitive. But when you, I guess that when you have little time and when you have a lot of things going on, you need to be really organized, even in how you project your ideas. Because you cannot waste time anymore. Mm. You know, yeah. everything is so controlled nowadays. So I do a lot of planning. So I do, I, I start doing digital sketches for anything that I do. Because mm -hmm. I realized that some days when I am in the studio and I want to take a photo, I don't know where to start from. And trying to find the pieces that match takes too long, you know, and sometimes you don't, you don't arrive in the place that you want because yeah. you're just trying, you know, like, you know, it, it's nothing, it's nothing yeah. written and then you're just trying to create something. 
So when I do my planning, when I do my digital sketches, at least I have a view. Uh, you know, I have an idea and then it becomes an image and then it's something more concrete that I can look into. So I have guidance. So I'm aiming for that. Yeah. If it, you know, if it uh, changes in the process, that's fine. But at least I'm aiming for something. And then I use Illustrator as a, uh, my one to go programs. And in Illustrator, what you do is that you create all of the templates. So you're working with patterns and templates. And I just lay everything in you know, in categories or the pieces that I need. And then that's how I start cutting it all out and putting it together. So it's not, you know, everything is really planned. It, it, it might not seem that it's planned, but from the image that I want to create to the, um, you know, planning of the pieces to producing all the work. Yeah. But obviously you can, I mean, there are clients that I have to send on a sketch and then my work needs to look just like the sketch. So then you learn to, to be very good at delivering what you yeah. submitted. Because sometimes yeah. you feel like I submitted all this and I have no idea how I'm going to get there. And then it's challenging, you know, because you are saying something before you have done it. And yeah. how can you perform in that way? So yeah, I, that, that has really, I mean, commercial work has really helped me in my personal practice. <clears throat> because I have been more been able to be more organized with my time yeah. and it's not it, I mean it's intuitive in a way sometimes you know because things will appear and then I, I still play a lot in the studio trying to get things done but it's more I know what I'm heading to I have like a vision a better vision of my work yeah yeah and I guess too the other thing is the more you do this, the better you get at the planning and at the vision coming true and those sorts of things. I guess it's like anything, the more you do it, the better you get at those other steps as well. Yeah, I mean, what, what's interesting is that, you know, the world is changing too quickly, too quickly. And then I have felt the pressure of not being able to stay in one place for too long because, mm -hmm. you know, everyone is moving creatively further all the time so you know you do something and then you feel like okay that's done I'm not going to stay there and do like 10 of those because yeah. I did it then you yeah. need a new idea and then a new idea and that search for ideas is is what it's really interesting like how I can make this better what I can add to it how I can improve it you know it's like because I am interested in that I mean I know that other people you know they do their practices in different ways they just are really confident and happy to stay in the same place for a very long time yeah. um but at the moment I have felt I mean I just in in the in the spirit of growth I guess because I have done something for a long time and I really want to start bringing new things so I am discovering so much these days and yeah, and that is exciting in in my yeah. work. It does. It sounds really exciting. Yeah, and you can you can see that on your face, and you can hear it in your voice, like that that challenge that you're bringing to yourself, and that'll no doubt show through in in the work to come in the future. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, it's. I mean, um, yeah, I I work. I mean, I wouldn't say that I work really hard, but I I spend a lot of time in here, and I and I love it. And I guess yeah. that when you see that uh, you 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 know you have progress, and when you are really excited about what you're making, then you feel more encouraged to push it more because yeah. you have a good sense that it's going in the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned um, you know that you started with birds, and I know you've got a lot of uh, nature and and things as, as thematically. What what is it about nature that you really enjoy? Is it 
you know, is it just something you've always, you've, you always found yourself in nature when you were younger, so that's coming through? Like what is it about that specifically that, that really calls to you? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's been, it's been with me. I mean, growing in Colombia, we have a lot of nature and, and a lot of relationship with it. And I think what really um, made me interested in it is it was the lack of relationship because I live in a main city and in, it's funny because in Colombia, nature is nothing that is cool. You know, people don't tend to, I guess, because I don't know how to say this, but because we are a country in evolution or, you know, trying to look, seek for progress, we see progress mm-hmm. as a city in man-made things. You know, yeah. we think that's progress, you know, the biggest building, the newest car in terms of money because the country is like growing um, and developing. And so I never had that awareness. I thought I've really shared it throughout my life and I love playing with it and, you know, being exposed to it. I never had that awareness until I moved to Finland. And then when I went to Finland, I could see how people relate to nature in a different, you know, context. And it was really beautiful because it was very respectful, you know. It's like nature's yeah. there. We don't touch it. We don't own it. We only admire it. And in Colombia, I come from a country where there is a lot of, sadly, animal trafficking. So every single person that, I mean, I grew up uh, with people having birds in cages. Mm-hmm. And this is the way that I relate with things like that. You know, my grandma had it, my mom had it. I had like lots of pets in my house that maybe they should have never lived there, but we had them because this was the culture, you know, yeah. own things. So I guess when I had um, that experience to another, you know, way of living, I realized no, we don't need to own it. We need to relate with it, but let it be. Because mm-hmm. in cages and, you know, in those, they are not doing what they're meant to do. And then you start learning and, and feeling that awareness that every single thing that exists has a purpose. And the purpose is where they need to be. And we as humans should not control and break those, you know, those um, life cycles. But but we do, you know, we own things, we bring things, we change things, we plan things. We love to mess up with everything. So as as I start growing more conscious into it, I felt I want to really relate. So my my initial feeling was I want to relate with nature in a way that I don't harm it. I want yeah. to be able to learn things about nature in a way that I'm not hurting anything. So then I start making the birds because I was really curious. And it helped me because I didn't need to travel to any place to have that experience. So, you know, if I made a kingfisher, then I would feel, yeah, I would feel the idea satisfied me so much that I didn't need the real thing because I was having an experience. And by making it, I was researching, I was learning. So I was feeling and learning like if if I was in the real place. Mm -hmm. So art to me has been always that place where I can learn and have experiences without leaving my studio you know because <laughs> if I want to have if I want to have contact with something I'll make it and by making it you start kind of reading why everything is the way it is yeah. why they are this big why they are this small why they have this and that why everything is the way it is and I love that way of you know it's like a meditation to me because it's the place where I learn to with my hands it's, it's something it's strange like I cannot explain it but as I am making it I'm kind of feeling like how things were made mm-hmm. and then getting the understanding of wow this is what it takes to make this and so it becomes valuable to me because it took me a long time so yeah. then when I show it to people I want them to feel you know first we can relate in an in a non-harmful way 
with nature if we yeah. made it. Second, we can learn so much because we these days we don't learn much, you know. Everything is so given to us that we don't even take the time to learn about anything. And through life, um, now I, I live in the UK and the UK has such a lovely relationship with nature. So everything is so respectful and, you know, it's like a really, like a society moving towards the protection of nature. Mm-hmm. So it's beautiful to see how everyone is so careful and how, you know, like the summer is beautiful because everyone is growing the gardens and everyone is so excited about the insects and the flowers and the plants and I love being here because I feel in a, you know, in a, in a lovely place, in a place where I get to not be against something, but I get to flow with it. Yeah. So, yeah, like I have my kids now and then my little boy is really interested in nature. And since I moved to Bristol, the only things we do is go for walks. Yeah. Uh, we don't need to go to the cinema or to the mall to buy anything. Our life is just the forest. And I love that that you know simplicity of life like there is no better place for us than being outdoors and just learning things yeah sounds sounds beautiful it sounds like a gorgeous way to live so that must that must be your biggest inspiration where you are right now in Bristol and just going for walks with your boy yeah it is because you know I mean what can how can you feel your practice is not from your everyday experiences and it's Mm -hmm. from the little things that happen to you that you learn and you create an awareness of you know creating your thoughts and thinking about those things. So, yeah, it comes from the most, you know, everyday things, like the things we find when we go for a walk. I mean, he loves collecting insects, and I was really scared about them for a very long time, and I couldn't bear insects at all. And since he started collecting them, I have become really um, open to them, and I can hold them in my hand. And I think that when I allow them in my life, finally, I really learned so much because now I'm taking the time to look at them and find who they are and what they do and the importance of protecting them. So, you know, it opened up so much because I feel I have so much to tell through my work. I have seen so many things. Um, Now I'm working with fruits and botanicals and that is another lovely field of, you know, um, nutrition. That is mm-hmm. so important for us. So, you know, anything that happens, like, you know, I need to eat. Uh, so then you have a subject, you know, nutrition. Then, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. So it all comes from, yeah, my inspiration comes from being aware of the things that I am living and trying to push them and use them because this is where I am interested in what is happening to me right now. Yeah. So I'm curious to know how how is your work's displayed like let's say for example um you you they're in a they're in a museum you've you've made a new collection of items let's say for example like how how do they exist in the world because you know we're used to and I say we just sort of loosely but like you know with paintings they hang on a wall but sculpture is a completely different beast so does it is it displayed specifically how you want it is it done how sort of depending on what it actually is does it vary dependent on what you're creating yeah I mean I don't know like I've sell, I sell some pieces um to museums and yeah and like institutions they create their own displays Mm -hmm. so yeah they are mostly I mean sometimes they go in the wall like they obviously have to be in case um I don't tend to you know this is what's interesting I don't tell to sell many pieces anymore 
as for installation. The last thing I did, which is uh, opening next year, is an exhibition in the New Children's Museum in Singapore. Yeah. And it's going to be an immersive installation. So it's, uh, yeah, uh, the whole museum will be built in relation to the artworks that I did. So all yeah. these artworks are going to be hanging in the wall because I did postage stamps of Singapore. Mm-hmm. And they are, you know, they have different animals, they have different uh, botanicals and fruits. But I guess it's, it's a tricky one, you know, because when you have a sculpture, how do you display it? And most people sadly find it practical to just hang them in the wall. That's how, you know, it will go. So we just need to hang it in the wall. Um, some things, they just stay, you know, they stand still forever. Like I just build a plinth and then they still stand like that. And because I use really good materials, then they are like an object in itself. Yeah. But I always advise people to just, you know, cover it and put them in case they're in an acrylic box or in, in a glass, you know, dome. So to avoid the humidity and the dust. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess this is what I moved more into image and commercial work nowadays because I felt um, I didn't want to spend a lot of time figuring out how to display my work. I'm sure it will come in the future again. And sometimes uh, if I will do a display window for a brand, people will need that for a month and then it will go away. So then yeah. you need to, so you know, the things that I did would never ask um, were more temporary than to be consistently in a space. So, I mean, yeah, when you think about paper sculpture, it's tricky because it's, it's unstable. It can stand on its own. You need to make it really strong. You need to consider its structure a lot because it's a volume and it can flop and, you know, fall. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I felt <laughs> these days, you know, when I take my photos, I find it a lot easier when I just present images. But I love, like I have in my studio, I have little displays of things. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm coming back to that. I'm coming back to uh, understand how my work can stand in a space as an object that people yeah. want to display. And that's yeah. a whole process of uh, how you create something that can, you know, stand over the years. Yeah, I think there's something beautiful to be said for a an object, you know, a beautifully handcrafted object displayed there is certainly something that, you know, a lot of people aspire to have and, and certainly looks beautiful set up in a room. I'm curious, what is the oldest piece that you have that you've created that still exists? Yeah, so it will be, yeah, I mean, I have the first bird that I made, which was mm-hmm. just made out of little stripes, and I have made that in 2011. Okay. And it lives yeah. inside a box. Yeah, it lives in a box in, uh, uh, in Colombia. I had it in there. Um, that's the oldest one. And then from there, most of the things that I start making, I will, uh, they will all be sold. So I don't keep a lot of my work in the studio anymore, but yeah, that, that is the only one that I kept like the first three sketches that I did. Uh, cause I thought they were, you know, where everything started in 10 years and they are still in great condition. Yeah. It's beautiful. If you do, you know, if you do something right, it will stand, stand time. Yeah. So is this something like paper sculpture? Is this something people can learn? Like would they, what would you say to somebody who's, you know, they've listened to you talk about it and they're really curious to learn, maybe try it for themselves. Is there, is there a world where they can, you know, get in and learn how to do this or is it more a case of they've really just got to play around with exploring paper and what they can do with it? Well, I mean, nowadays there are a lot of resources online. So mm-hmm. because more people have joined it and they have been doing it. So I personally, I have a course online where I teach how to make uh, a bird sculpture. 
so people yeah. can take any steps. So when people approach me and they say I want to try, you know, doing something, then I direct them to my online course. But um, I guess I mean to me it's easy because I'm not looking within paper sculpture to make paper sculpture. You know, yeah. Yeah. people that want to make paper sculpture, they just look at how paper sculpture is made and they try to replicate what they see. Yeah, I don't do that. I do look into how anything is made. And then I made it in paper. And yeah. this is how I can keep a research going because paper sculpture in itself mm. is, I will say, like any other type of sculpture. Unless yeah. that you bring it from the outside and that you feed it from other types of information and then you just see it as a material. This is how, why you have to see paper is just as a medium that will allow you to create something. Now yeah. you need to learn how to manipulate that material in order to create what you want to make. And I tell a lot of people because, you know, there are a lot of people that love doing um, things that I have tried before, and which, which is great, you know. It's great to be such an inspiration for people, for them to, you know, spend their time trying to aim and recreate something. But I always tell them, try to not look into how someone has resolved it too much. Look into the real source of it because when you look into the real source of it, then you have a lot more information than when you're looking at a point of view. So my, my work is just a point of view of something. If they look like into the real bird, they have it all in there. If they look into the real mushroom or the real flower, that is where the information is. We just translate it and we just create it in paper. But it's pretty easy, you know. Like I mean, there are so many templates, so many resources online that you can adapt into anything that you want to make. So, yeah, it's just a matter of research. Going go on, on, on research, you know, paper sculpture, um, you know, templates in paper. Almost anyone has uploaded something in there that is really useful. Nice. That's fantastic. So I know you're, you, we are coming close to the end of the time, so we won't, we won't run over because I will not do that to you. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about, though, before we finish up that we haven't gotten to that you sort of really wanted to share with everyone or how are you feeling? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that my, my best advice is, is what I just told you. Um, for an artist, it's really, I mean, I, as an artist, I spend a lot of time doing my research. I spend mm. a lot of time having experiences, reading, bringing all that into my work. Um, and I would love for people to be more respectful of that sometimes because I don't think I am the only one that makes this. I know that. But I do value my process and I put a lot of energy in trying to create all of this. And sometimes I feel, you know, especially with the move of Instagram, people just take it too easy. And then mm -hmm. they, you know, they kind of take the magic out of it. And when someone comes to me and they say, like, Diana, I want to be like you, I always say to them, please be like yourself. Because by being like yourself, you have so much more to give. You know, you have like a whole universe that I'm sure is worth exploring within yourself and to bring it out in any in any way so this is my first kind of advice for people and and the other advice is always you know be patient and and have patience and have a lot of discipline because things don't come out perfectly and easy on the first you know in, in the first time and <clears throat> I have been here for 10 years and after 10 years I can see that I am getting somewhere in a place that I feel comfortable with my work that that's something people don't see, you know, they see an image and they just want to aim for that and they want to recreate it. And if it doesn't go that way, they get frustrated. Mm. 
So I always say to them, allow yourself that process. Allow yourself to have mistakes and to make things wrong. And I always tell them, never throw anything that you have done that you don't like because that is information that will become useful in the future when you know how to resolve that. So this is this is kind of the you know the key things I always tell to people. Um, you know, people don't have patience these days anymore, and I think it's really important to to enjoy something and you know take off the pressure that it needs to be perfect and just enjoy your process and you know nurture it and give it time so that the more time goes by, the more that you have achieved, and then the more comfortable you feel with it. And then that way, I guess we can find what we are good at. Yeah. In the world, words to live by. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me. I've just had a real. This has been a lovely, a lovely conversation. Um, Could you just share with everyone where's the best place to find you online? Yeah, so they can find me in my website, which is dianabeltranherrera.com, and then on Instagram and on the same handle, my very long name. And yeah, my Behance as well, but I'm really most on Instagram and on um, on my website. And if anyone is interested in doing my course, then I have a link, which is uh, Domestica, or they can just, you know, message me that I am yeah. always happy to, you know, reply and guide people through. Yeah, perfect. That'd be fantastic. Thank you so much again for, for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kim, for your invitation. 